Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Ryan Hawk, the author of the new book, The Pursuit of Excellence. Ryan is the founder and host of The Learning Leader Show, a podcast with nearly 500 episodes. He's an avid speaker on leadership and personal and professional development. In the conversation, Ryan and I discuss leadership and excellence, the role of loving what you do, the connection between gratitude and excellence, the wisdom of reading, humility and patience on the path, how to be consistent, and much more. Without any further delay, I now bring you the wise and gracious Ryan Hawk. Ryan, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited as well. I've really enjoyed your new book, The Pursuit of Excellence, and I'm, I'm happy to, to chat with you about it. We begin most of our, our conversations around this question of what started your, your search. I guess in your language, we could use pursuit. But what got this insatiable curiosity going uh, towards leadership and excellence? I didn't start out that way. Uh, I would say when I when I my football career ended, it I needed to get a real job. I'd never really had a real job before, and I was very fortunate to get hired by a VP of sales named Rex Caswell. And when I got that job, Rex gave it to me pri- primarily because I was a family friend. He knew me since I was a little kid, and um, he he had more belief in me for that role than I did. But anyway, I I. I honestly told him, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. I don't know how to do a good job. And he gave me the idea to interview the top 10 performers on the stack rankings and sales or stack rankings that are, that are posted every day. Why don't you interview the top 10 from the past year? And I'll even help you come up with the questions to, so that you can learn from them. And maybe you can institute some of the things you learn as you're interviewing them. And one of the things I mean, that, that really set me on the path, I would say to, trying to deconstruct excellence, understand what people do, what they say, how they behave, their habits, their routines, their rituals, and then taking bits and pieces from all these different people who are performing at a high level and instituting that into my game. And so I'd say it started then um, and then progressed a little bit further as to I became a huge fan of listening to podcasts. Um, And so about seven and a half years ago is when I then eventually started my own podcast, The Learning Leader Show. And that's that's really uh, just put that into warp speed. Now 470 plus of those later, uh, because I realized the more I learn that there's so much more to learn, which is the weird paradox when it comes to this this world of learning and trying to improve each day. It is definitely a paradox. I, I love it. And I appreciate you sharing some background. I was looking at, at your podcast, The Learning Leader Show, first episode all the way back, April 2015. And I've been a longtime subscriber. I was looking at the date. It shows you when you subscribe. So I've been listening since 2017. So quite some time uh, on that journey. And I'm curious to ask, how do you approach or think about leadership and, and interviews today compared to maybe that first one back in 2015? 
how do I approach interviews or how do I approach leadership <laughs> in comparison to then? I, I guess I'm curious, just your thought process, how you think about leadership, if anything comes to mind in, in terms of your uh, approach of perspective. Well, I mean, I think I, I probably like a lot of people um, initially before I think you become better and well, more well-versed. I, when you hear the word leader, you think of the person who is the loudest, who speaks up the most, who's um, people people are in some t- in some cases afraid of. And what I've learned over the past seven plus seven and a half plus years is that in real reality, the true leaders like that's the opposite. The, the the ones who seem to generate followers, the ones who seem to generate more leaders, approach each day with a really curious mind of trying to understand how something works and how it can get better. And I mean, I think the, the ultimate job of a leader is it's the art of, of getting people to want to do what must be done. Well, that you, you can't just yell and scream and stand on a table. Uh, that's not art. Uh, so I think I've learned a lot of that over the years of interviewing people far wiser than me who have lived lives of amazing experiences. And I try my best then to institute the things that I'm learning from them, just like I did when I got my first real job. So I'd say that's the biggest change for me is that I didn't really have a good understanding of what great leadership was until I started really studying this, um, you know, now close to a decade ago. Let me ask to transition to the topic of of excellence. In the end of the book, towards in the acknowledgments, you, you talk about we're we're built and crafted by our who the people we're surrounded by play an influence in who we become. But then there's also aspects in in the book of, of this idea of excellence being an individual endeavor to a certain aspect, not necessarily comparison with others, but measured against our own potential. How do we navigate? And if you could say a bit about this, the individual and collective nature of excellence. Yeah, I think, I think there are two, two different things there. Um, I, you will become the people you choose to surround yourself with. Uh, science backs that up. So your who is everything. Um, deciding the people that uh, you're going to spend the most time with, they'll impact you more than anybody else. So getting that right and, and consistently working on improving that and pushing yourself and leveling up and putting yourself in rooms, putting yourself in rooms with people who are wiser than you, kinder than you, uh, more accomplished than you. I don't see any downside to that. When it comes to comparison, yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, that the only person I should compare myself to is my previous self, and I should have this prompt every single night before I go to, be, go to bed, am I a little bit wiser today than when I woke up, the old Charlie Munger quote. And I think that's really important to me when this, this when you, we all at times fall, uh, I think, subject to this, the problem of comparison with others because uh, there's so much out there, whether you're on social media or wherever you may be. Uh, usually that's not helpful. I mean, every once in a while, uh, Simon Sinek and Adam Grant talk about the idea of having rivals and how rivals can lift you. I do, I do think there's something to that. But for the most part, I found like if you want to live a life that's combined uh, a c- combination of happiness plus growth and improvement, the best person to compare yourself to is your previous self. Could you give a little bit of insight of Maybe how you how you do that personally, if anything comes up, how you're reflecting back on a on a day to day basis. Am I a little bit wiser than than yesterday? 
well, I ask myself that question each night, and so I need to answer that. So what did I, what did I do today? Like what action? Mm-hmm. So who did I talk to? What books did I read? What podcasts did I listen to? What notes did I take? Right? That, that all then helps me be a little bit wiser. Who, who did I go to lunch with today? Whatever it may be. All those things lead me to being. So that's one way to ensure. Uh, Matthew Dix was a guest on my podcast who talked about this, this, this quick exercise called Homework for Life, which is something I do, which is essentially documenting the stories of the day. Uh, I think that's I've mixed with my homework for life the stories of the day with learnings of the day, so I do think you should uh, have something there. You're not going to bat a thousand, so you're, not every day is going to be perfect. But that's that's one way to ensure that uh, you're getting a bit wiser, that you're actually intentional about it, that you're questioning yourself, that you're willing to push yourself to do that, that you know that that question is coming at the end of the day, so that your actions then will follow to say, oh. I know I'm going to be asking myself this. I want to be able to answer in the affirmative. And that I found out to be a, a, a helpful forcing function for me. I love it. I, I really appreciate it. And, and you mentioned there, we're not going to bat a thousand. So perfection is, is not necessarily possible. And I, I'm curious, a question of maybe how excellence differs from perfectionism and this idea of being and doing reading your book. I was, there's a lot of sports references throughout the, throughout the book. And I was thinking of um, NFL coach Dick Vermeil. I don't know if you're familiar, but many of the listeners probably are. There was a, um, a documentary on his you know, uh, coaching life and had a, a bit of a hard time with this, this balance a couple times throughout his career. Uh, any, do you think about that much? Perfectionism? Yes, this balance between excellence and perfectionism, how they might differ. Yeah, the way I define excellence is maybe different than than others, but for me, it's 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 about gradual, steady improvement. It's not a moment; it's it's always happening. So, to me, I realize I'm as much as I'd love to be perfect at some things. I'm not perfect at anything, and I don't really know anyone who is. So, uh, to me, I, I'm still going to get upset when I mess up. I'm going to get upset when uh, I didn't work hard enough to prepare for an interview or a keynote speech. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, to me, I, I'm regularly looking back to say, to listen, to watch. I mean, I watch footage of a keynote speech from two months ago, from a year ago. I'll listen to old podcasts. I should be embarrassed of some of those performances. If not, that means I'm not getting better. If I'm the same as I was then, then I should be embarrassed. So to me, there's no the, – the, the idea of perfectionism is – I don't know, man. My wife Miranda might say that I I suffer from that, but to, but I don't really think about that very much. What I just think about is, am I getting better? And to me, that that's what excellence is about: is this gradual pursuit of always getting a little bit better. Because as JJ Reddick said on my show, like you've never arrived, you're always becoming. That's the mindset I try to take. That doesn't matter what do I accomplish or what I do or what happens. There's no arrival. It, it, it's it's an always becoming mindset. So because of that, I'm just trying to always get better each day, and then that hopefully will lead to good opportunities, which so far um, it has. How about goals and things like that when it comes to this gradual process? I, I think of, of Jim Collins, who you cite in the book, of, of these big audacious goals, and then there's this idea of the process and maybe Coach John Wooden talking about winning not necessarily being the goal. How do you think about that? Uh, I'm, I go back and forth. I'm mixed on goals. Uh, I understand how they can be valuable for some, but I also um, am confused by them. Uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy wrote 
a great piece years ago called Growth Without Goals, and it's really a focus on the daily process. I identify a lot with that mindset, I would say. I've set goals for this year aligned with my values, but to, to me, um, they ha- they've never really been that helpful. I mean, I worked in sales for 12 years in corporate America. We got a quota every single day. I mean, essentially every year, which then we broke it down by day. So we were thinking about exceeding our quota, earning President's Club or Circle of Excellence awards, and that's that's a number versus a goal. So I understand it. I understand in sports of goals. But to me, I, I also identify more with Bill Walsh's mindset of the score will take care of itself, which is which his book is called, and that's the kind of daily behaviors and actions uh, are what then ultimately lead to the outcome. My friend Brooke Cups wrote a book called Surrender the Outcome, right? He falls in love with the process and that then the result becomes whatever it becomes. And he surrenders that. And I, I, I admire that mindset. Um, it's, it's also, by the way, led to him winning a ton of games, including the first ever state mm-hmm. championship at Centerville High School. So I think, I think there's a lot to be said with this love of the daily work. And then the result will be what the result will be. It might not always be what you want, but if you have this love for the work each day, I'm a believer that then opportunities will arise. Good things will probably happen if your daily actions are, in lo- are aligned with your values and you're, you're willing to show up each and every day consistently. Usually the good stuff happens. The reason why people don't achieve goals is because they don't do that. They're inconsistent or it's too hard or they stop, they quit. So to me, it's, it's no, I'm, I'm going to be willing to show up each day and do the work mainly because I love the work. And then who knows what could happen? I, I, it's hard for me to predict. You asked me for a five-year plan. I would be the worst at that. I have no idea. Um, I hardly have a five-week plan. So I think for me, it's, it's really about the showing up each day. That's interesting. I appreciate you sharing it. And for the listeners, the the score takes care of itself is a fantastic read um, as yep. well. One of my favorite chapters in the book is is what lights you up. And you just mentioned this idea of love. And, and a, a section in there is the difference between love and will. Could you speak to that a bit? Yeah. So that's from Jerry Seinfeld and Howard Stern. Um, Jerry went on Howard's show and and – Howard's like, I think you could will yourself to, you can will yourself to being as good as you are. You can will yourself to doing it. And and Jerry disagrees. And he says, no, I don't think so. What you're thinking of is love. I think love can conquer will. Love is more powerful than will. And in Jerry's case, while he has more money than he'll ever need and than his family will ever need, he still... And pre-pandemic, and I, I think he's back to doing this now, but he, he still would wake up every day and write jokes because he's a comedian. And that's what, that's what he believe, that's, that's what he identifies with. That's what he loves. That's what he does. So he wakes up every single day. He writes jokes and then he goes to some hole in the wall club and he practices and he works on them. Right. And he says, the reason I'm able to do that, right? Cause you got to get through all of the bad jokes to get to the good ones. And you don't know if a joke was funny until you're on stage saying it. But what he said it allows him to do that is love. He loves that. He loves being a writer. He loves being a com- comedian. And so love is so powerful, it gives you the opportunity to show up and do the hard work consistently, whether it's writing jokes and getting on stage or whatever it is you do. This is why I feel very fortunate because I know most people probably don't love 
what they're doing each day. I get it, but but they have to support their family. So for me, I try to share with them what there. I hope there is something within that job that you you can love. I don't expect it to be everything or even your entire organization or what their why is. I mean, it would be great if you could, but what is it within the job that you can love? Because I think that's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you showing up. That's what keeps you kind of grinding through it, whatever that may be. So so to me, the, the ultimate message there is I don't expect everyone to be able to quit their job and do whatever it is they love the most every day. Like we have to take care of people, but I hope you could find something within what you're doing where there is love and that will then drive you forward, especially on the days when it's really hard. Yeah. It's, it's interesting going through your book. I I didn't necessarily see a, a chapter or anything dedicated specifically to, to gratitude and this idea of being grateful, but it seems like a, a thread that runs through all out. I, I hear it coming through you, this, this gratitude that you have, how do you connect being grateful with excellence? I mean, uh, so my core values are thoughtful, thankful, curious, and consistent. So it's one of the core four for me. And the way I try to show that is to leave people, places, and things better than I found them. And I think that is the critical behavior to go along with that. When I'm testing myself, when I'm measuring myself against actually living the value, because values mean nothing if, if, if you're not uh, living them, if the behaviors aren't aligned with that. So to me, that's an easy question I can ask. Did I leave Josh better than I found him? Did I leave my audience better than I found him? Did I leave this office better than I found it today? Did I leave? Do I leave the, the soccer field tonight with my daughter Charlie better than I found it? If I saw a piece of trash, did I pick it up, right? Did I say good game to her teammates? Like All these questions are how I, for me, and I think they all need to be personal to you, that's how I show gratitude. So I think people, whatever your values are, and if that happens to be one of them, you have to have a way of living out that value. And to me, gratitude is just finding a way. It's my way of saying I'm so grateful for the very fortunate position that I've been put in. I want to do everything I can to leave people in places and things better than I found them. That's how, to me, makes me feel like I'm showing, I'm living that value. So whatever it is for you, I think you got to do that. I mean, also just simply saying thank you, right? You go to Chipotle with your with your child. Let's have a contest. How many times can we genuinely say thank you? Not fake, not like, oh, whatever. I'm saying, okay, this person does the rice. Thank you. That person does the chicken. Thank you so much. That person does the salsa. Thank you so much. For that. that person puts the, the cheese and the, and the lettuce. Oh, thank you so much. That person checks you out. Thank you so much. Look him in the eye, right? Like that's five or six times, right? There's no reason we can't get in the habit of this. And, I, and that's the, the big part of like genuinely showing gratitude gratitude for people for doing whatever it is that they do. So I think those, those are big ways that I try to, to, to live a life of gratitude and, and never forget kind of the, the, the good fortune to which I've been born with. When I, what I mean by that is amazing parents and two amazing, two amazing parents, my mom and my dad, and two amazing brothers. That is not normal. I, I realize that. And so for that, I'm super grateful, and I just try to show that each day. I love it. It's beautiful. I'm curious – of discerning your your path you you talked about love and and will a bit in coming back to 2015 so seven years ago or so you 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 leave a a good probably good paying job with benefits and discern on this new path to start the learning leader show how do you think about discerning your path and this idea of of following your passion and, and doing something that 
you you love and maybe something you have to do so uh, one minor correction on the story i started the podcast on the side um i still had a full-time job working okay. in corporate america at the time and I did not leave that until I saw that the inquiries and requests for work would be enough to support my fam- my family. Now, it'd still be a massive pay cut, which it was uh, in 2017 when I left at the time. But it wasn't started with this idea that it would ever become a business. It was started out of me mm-hmm. genuinely following what I'm most curious about and trying to learn from productive achievers and hopefully using some of my curiosity to improve first and foremost myself, create my own form of a leadership PhD program. And maybe if it's good, then other people would want to listen along with me. But I wasn't sure if that would happen. I was going to try to do everything I could to make that happen, but I wasn't sure. And if they wouldn't, yeah, I would have been bummed, but I still would have done it because it was for me first and foremost. So I think the important part, like from a practicality standpoint, was I was not going to leave my job, especially if it was just me and I didn't have a family and I wasn't married. I think yeah. you can you, you can kind of you could probably take a lot more risk. You can probably say, well, I can live off a much smaller amount of money, but we have a really high fixed cost in our house with with children and school, private schools, all the stuff. That's that's not cheap. So there's no way I could have left. And, and went on this path if I didn't see a path to saying, okay, I can support them. And between the conversations with my wife, Miranda, and me, hey, I think it's going to take two or three years, maybe longer, just for me to get back to where I was financially. And that was about right. I mean, that was pretty mm-hmm. accurate. Just until now in this past year have we surpassed that. So I think um, it, it, we were very practical along the lines with doing what lights me up with what I love the most. But it's been super hard. I mean, she knows too. I work, I work seven days a week. There's no, there, are no, there are no days where I'm not doing some sort of work. Some days a lot more than others. But, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, uh, while I'm doing what I love, it doesn't mean that I only do it a little bit. It's, it's a lot of work to maintain and to continue to grow it. As you mentioned, it's, you know, you're lit up by this. You've got this curiosity, um, reading the book and someone that's listened to your podcast for many years, it it comes through. You're a voracious reader and it it sounds like something that you were, you were probably into prior to even starting the, the podcast. How do you see this, this role of, of reading and, and excellence? How has that, you know, shaped who you are today? Well, books are just, quite frankly, books are the greatest investment in the history of the world. You can spend 20 bucks or so and peer inside the soul of the smartest people ever. To not do that seems to be one of the dumbest things I could ever imagine. Truly. So I've never met a leader. I've never met a person who's really awesome at what they do, who doesn't read. I just haven't met them. They don't exist, in, at least in my life. They're, I, I, so to, to me, I can't fathom the idea of someone saying, I don't have enough time to read. And yes, I hear that. And I quietly say, okay, I mean, that's fine. Uh, now, if they want to have a conversation about it, I'm happy to speak about it. But I will say, when I was younger and stupid and didn't know what I was doing, I didn't read. And then I 
started getting books recommended to me, and I remember Good to Great was one of them, and Give and Take was one of them, and these books kind of came into my life, and I realized, oh my God, these books are changing my life. This is insane. I had no idea a book could impact you so much. So to me, I think that that old axiom, uh, read what you love until you love to read, as I'm trying to do this as a dad right now, it's still pretty hard, but I get it, because when I was younger, I didn't want to read either. But that is so true because you find something in that those books can light you up. Those books can change your mind. Those books change your life. And when that happens, it becomes so contagious. You're like, well, what else can I get? What else can I get? Mm-hmm. And now it's just a nonstop thing, whether you're I'm listening to them on Audible or I'm reading them on the elliptical or whatever it is. To me, I, I look forward to the moments when people realize the power of books. And it's okay if you don't currently – but once you start, once you get going, it's amazing to see the world that books open up for you. And I get it if you don't if you're not there yet cuz I definitely was there. But once you do, man, it's so awesome. It's so great. I'm I'm excited for people just to the, just to the thought of that happening to them and I think if you want to be an effective leader, that's that's a mandato- mandatory part of it. I could not agree more. Absolutely love it. I I think of them as um you know, it's almost like these wormholes as well. I think of one book that shaped me was maybe not necessarily the book, but it was also the other books that it, it leads you to, yep. the other, you know, the people that they're citing. It was The Greats on on Leadership by Susan Davis. Towards the end of the book, I think it was the last chapter, was on Lao Tzu, and she mentioned how it was basically the advanced level of, of leadership. So it leads you to, and I think of that same thing of, of your book, of, of how many other books that it, it leads you to. It's really an infinite path. Um, but I want to ask you a little bit about, speaking of this infinite path, you have a, a chapter called, it's, it's a Lifelong Pursuit. And I love the quote by Anthony Bourdain. I'm going to read it if if that's okay here to to start it off. And he says, perhaps wisdom is realizing how small I am and unwise and how far I have yet to go. And I'm curious, you know, could you speak to this idea of becoming excited and comfortable with it being an infinite path, you know, no end to to the race? That's the exciting part uh, for me. I, I, I think the, the fact that it is an infinite, infinite game, the, the fact that it – because it, if you like reach the place, then like what else is there to me? So I, lo- I love the fact – and I think as I said a little bit earlier, the more you – the more people you talk to, the more books you read, the more things that you learn, it almost shows you how ignorant you were before – because I now I realize I know like point zero 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 one percent of things that I probably would like to learn, right? So like I haven't even got to a percent yet of of what all that's out there that I'd like to learn. There's just so much good stuff, and so to me that's just really exciting. Like what am I missing? Like I just just typed in Susan Davis into my computer. I didn't I haven't heard of her. So I'm going to go down that rabbit hole after we get off this this call today of thinking about wait what is this book? What am I missing? I'm sure there's something there. That's what I mean. Like those examples of there's great stuff out there that I am completely unaware of. 
And that's just an, an amazing opportunity to learn and to grow and to get better. And so I'm, I'm guessing as I go down and probably pick that book up, I will learn five or six or seven or a hundred things that will then make me better in some area. And, and maybe one day on a stage a year from now, I will be quoting something from Susan Davis's book. And that <laughs> happened because you and I are having this conversation today. That's the type of stuff that excites me. And I know like you just have to regularly put yourself in these positions to make collisions, to collide with other thoughtful people. And when you do that, stuff like this happens. And then you kind of look back and you almost don't fully remember all the details, but you're just always in this path of colliding with with thoughtful people. Usually good stuff happens. So I think that's another part of this process of make of doing your best to put yourself in positions to bounce around with people who are who are who are not exactly the same mind, but have a similar growth-oriented mindset. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you have to believe everything the same. You don't have to be aligned on everything. But the same kind of general path of this growth thought process, like, I want to get better, I want to improve. Because then you're out here doing your thing. I'm out here doing mine. We both kind of exchange ideas. Guaranteed, we're going to learn some things, right? That's just, because there's so much out there. So I think that part of it's really exciting. Yeah, it's such an important point. Um I'm curious if you were to sit down with someone that is coming into this first leadership role, um, which was the focus of your first book, Welcome to Management, and and this idea of cultivating humility and and patience along the path, what comes to mind? I mean, I do this good boss, bad boss exercise when I work with leadership teams, and and you know. At the top of those lists, usually when you like, hey, just basically write down all of the all of the characteristics of your most favorite boss, and write down the characteristics of your least favorite. I mean, that's at the top, typically or near the top. Is that the 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 amazing ones uh, had a humility about them, meaning like they 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 realized that they had so much more to learn. They were striving to learn. They they thought. They, they, they didn't think less of themselves. They just thought of themselves less, right? I like that version of humility. And, and to me, that, that, that also usually aligns with curiosity. And then that usually aligns with some empathy and compassion and care. And those are all good qualities in a person who are, who, who's going to hopefully unleash somebody to do their best work ever. So to me, that's, that's where I realized that was working for both good bosses and not so good. And, 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 and so I, I thought a lot about that and that probably, I think helped me as I was trying to become a better leader, uh, growing up within a business when I didn't fully know what I was doing outside of leading on the football field. How about the idea of consistency and, and flexibility? You, you talk a, a lot about consistency. It always reminds me of this Seneca quote of basically the path to, to wisdom, the wise person doesn't always take the same steps, but they're on a single road. Do you ever, how do you implement a bit of flexibility while maintaining this consistency that you've done for so many years? Yeah, I, I could see how that could be a tough dichotomy because especially the people who know me best would, would say very ritualized, similar uh, routine every day, um, consistency is, is another one of my core values. So it's important for me to show up every day and do the work regardless of how I feel. I think that's the difference. I think consistency builds trust in your audience. They know I've published a podcast at seven o'clock Eastern, 
uh, every Sunday for seven plus years that they know what they're getting uh, so they can trust that that's going to happen. Mindful Monday for 313 consecutive Mondays, right? They know that it's coming every Monday morning, that email. So uh, to me, it's just kind of ingrained in, in, in me. I think watching my parents wake up and go to work, do what they're supposed to do each and every day, regardless of how they felt. I think that's a big, a, a big key that nobody really cares how you feel. They care what you can do. Um, and they don't even really care what you've done. They care what you are currently doing. So to me, it's like I'm always in that mindset of, of what am I doing? Uh, how am I showing up to work each day? Um, I, I'm probably not super balanced. I don't uh, take enough vacations, I guess. Um, and I think I'm actually trying to get better at that but because uh, I think that could lead to some bad places if, if you're not careful. But but for me, it is really important to show up and do the work each day, regardless of, of how I feel, and, and always be thinking about not what I've done, but but what I'm what I'm doing. I appreciate it, Ryan. How about this idea of wisdom? A, a traditional wrap up question we have on the show is how you think about wisdom in in daily life from a very you know practical rubber meets the road sense. I mean, I, I just, I, that's, that's all about the who for me. I mean, I, I need to regularly be stretching myself from a, a competency perspective. And, and the way to do that is to be talking to people who are far wiser than me. And that's why having a podcast can be an amazing tool for wisdom, um, for learn from learning from other people who have different life experiences from you, who have studied different areas from you, who are more knowledgeable than you, right? Who maybe are just born smarter than you as well. A combination of all those things, uh, to me is really exciting to be in this situation one-on-one with somebody where I can, again, follow what I'm most curious about, try to be a good listener, ask good, good questions, ask even better follow-up questions, and learn from them and borrow from them. And then I can hopefully at some point share what I'm learning with other people. To me, wisdom is all about other people. It's all about uh, being curious. It's all about asking questions. It's all about being a good listener and then doing your best to kind of pause and reflect and deconstruct what it is that that have led them to their point in life. And then and then, t- what are the takeaways? What are some of the practical application for you for for me as well as for the other people I'm going to teach? That that's the ultimate way to I think to gain uh, wisdom and and to become to become one of those people yourself, so that you can hopefully help others too. I love that. Where does this drive to to help others? This this idea is there anything? Have have you thought about? You know, what sparked that whole thing to, to think about others and the common good? I mean, I grew up uh, with amazing parents, still have them. Um, my dad is – my dad and my grandpa – so I dedicated the book to my grandpa, Hawk. My dad and my grandpa are the two most selfless people I've ever met. So when it when you see it every day, it actually didn't seem like that big of a deal to me growing up. I just thought that was normal. And then you you get a little bit older and you get out into the world yourself and you realize it's not, and and so when I when it when I realized that and kind of grew up and and seen you know, my my grandpa take care of a special needs person for her entire life for for more than forty years my aunt when I saw my grandma uh, towards the last few years of her life was in really bad shape from a health perspective and and he never complained once he just took care of them all so he spent the bulk of his life 
taking care of other people with an amazing attitude and a smile and a laugh and telling stories, man. I mean, how awesome is that? Like, I don't, I'm not doing any of that. I don't have any of that. And, and I still complain, you know? So to me, it's, it's trying to be better, trying to be more like the people that I've been, again, lucky to, to be surrounded by that. I was the family that I was born into. And, and when you see that all the time, it's like, man, that's, I need to strive to be more like that. So I think a lot of the motivation, inspiration comes that for, uh, for, from all of that. Beautiful. And let me ask just one more final question here. When it comes to discerning projects, say like this book, The Pursuit of Excellence, I'm assuming you're thinking about what's what's coming next, what what might be the the an upcoming book. Could you provide any insight of, of how you you work through that? It's hard. I mean, books are the hardest project. Um, right now, the next there there isn't a next book. It's it right now. There's just a ton of notes and ideas that don't have much semblance of a structure or an order. Now that's how the first two books started. So does that? Like, will I get there? I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I I, I plan to continue working. I think I'm going to lean on other people even more now, which I'm doing. So we're, we're working on some of those things. But it's I just think there's they're very personal. They're really hard. I think uh, writing is the most challenging thing there is for me. Um, I look at like when you look at my first drafts, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty good about not comparing myself to other people until it comes to writing. And for whatever reason, I get uh, I, I interviewed Shane Snow talking about this. I just read his books and think, God, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to get even half as good as that. So, like, that's a problem. I, I have that. I play that comparison game when it comes to books because you know, you're reading books every day. You, you almost can't help it. So. I, but I also know that authors usually are most critical of their own work because it's it after you've been living in it for so long that it becomes almost boring to you because you've done nothing but think about that and write and edit and write and edit and write and edit. You're like, oh, God, I just need to do something new. So to me, I'm in the very early stages of just gathering knowledge and ideas and meeting with other people to talk through some of those things and getting feedback when I – Maybe share, uh, do a new keynote where I'm asking for a coach to, to to provide feedback. I mean, John Maxwell's books were written primarily based on him giving keynote speeches and having his team members in the audience to document everything he said, and then they figure out the most useful and turn them into books. So uh, that's one way, but it it's 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 hard. It's really hard, and and I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I mean, I know I'm going to keep working at it, and 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 then we'll, we'll see what comes of it. But I'm not just going to write a book or publish a book just for the sake of having a book. I think that's, that could really, um, I could really, I should lose trust from my audience if I did that. So I, I just can't see myself doing it. And it's, you know, I promote these things like crazy. So it'd be really hard to promote something if you know, you just put it out because, because people are going to buy it because you're, you're publishing another book. So I, I really want to make sure that when, whenever we get to that point, that it's, that it's really good. Well, I, I love the most recent book here. Again, it's The Pursuit of Excellence. I, I highly recommend it to, to anyone. And I have to say, from a, from a distance, someone that's been a listener for a long time, I remember listening to some episodes before Welcome to Management come out. 
and you know you asking and inquiring a bit about the the writing process of these authors that have uh come on your show so i'm just so happy for yep. you to have uh two two really popular great books out there and uh and hopefully many many more to come so where would you point Thank people you. interested in in learning more about you ryan my pleasure learn learningleader.com is the home base for everything so yeah I'm, Podcast, books, everything I do is at learningleader.com. Podcast, same name, The Learning Leader Show. So, Awesome. We'll link everything in the show notes. Ryan Hawk, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.